All right. Um, so it's my pleasure to, I'll just start in. Um, it's my pleasure to talk to Hillary Winston, TV writer, producer, extraordinaire. Her credits include My Name is Earl, Community, Happy Endings, Dr. Ken, and a bunch of other things I could keep on listing. Um, Hillary Winston, welcome to Six Seasons in a Podcast. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, I uh, I think I want to just start with, um, you know, what is it about TV writing that you love? You know, because you sh- wouldn't be doing this if you didn't love it. <laughs> you know, I think that, you know, I was a kid who grew up, you know, doing my homework in front of the TV, um, who always had the TV on. And for me, it was Cheers and MASH reruns were always on when I was doing my homework. And it was kind of like getting getting down to, you know, the wire and, and they were on. And I always found myself like being being distracted and wanting to watch them. And there's something about, you know, TV where it's in your homes with you and it makes, Mm -hmm. you know, it makes you feel like those characters are part of your life in in a way that movies didn't. So even though I loved movies growing up, you know, my parents didn't take us to movies that much, but, you know, we had cable. And for me, the noise of like the, you know, like having like the HBO, you know, movie thing start. And yeah. it's like the, the movie that you watched 50 times is what's memorable to me. And the TV show that you watched every night is what was memorable to me. So for me, it was the experience of like the immersion in a world that I really loved. And that's what I could never let go of. And when I moved to LA, TV was totally uncool. I mean, nobody wanted to write for TV. Hey. Um, and it kind of sounds so funny now because it's such a golden age of TV, but I would meet people and they'd be like, you don't want to write movies. And I was like, no, I I actually, I want to be a sitcom writer and people would laugh. I mean, they just thought it was ridiculous. Um, cause it was also not a heyday for sitcoms and, um, but I just, I never let go of those, that experience as a kid, you know, Sam and Diane, you know, felt like a part of my life. Hmm. Yeah, that that's interesting. That makes me I'm I'm thinking out loud. Um so I, I didn't say I forgot to say this up front, but my grandfather was a, a TV actor. Um uh, has a, a star in the Walk of uh, Hall of Fame wow. and um for yeah, for the 50s and 60s he was on Ozzy and Harriet oh, and then so cool. Hazel. Yeah, and, and Hazel in the 60s I love and Hazel. um you know, I think uh, great with uh, Don DeFore, he was Mr. That's B. That's so cool. Um yeah, so it's um, you know I'm a nobody schmo, but uh, I have family that's some something you know, r- related to TV. But I, I you know I think about that. My uncle has said you know you know oh, my when my dad was on TV, he it was kind of a nerd type of thing. It was it, you know it wasn't that that cool of a show for him, and he was you know. But you think about that with TV writing, it's it you know it wasn't the it thing to do quite yet. But look where we are today, and. Um, you know, TV stars are, uh, you know, sometimes bigger than, than the, the movie stars and, and TV is so. And now um, think about how, think about how intimate TV is and that that's what people respond to. You know, people are watching yeah. shows on their phones. They're carrying them with you all day. You know, you start, you know, you start binge watching something and it's their characters are following you on the subway. They're following you in your commute, you know, like in traffic. Mm-hmm. It's like the waiting room of the doctor's office. Like they're with you all the time, you know, which is just even exactly what I'm talking about of like that where they become a part of your life in a way that movies are their own experience that you are invited to you buy a ticket to you know and TV TV is just something totally different Um, 
hmm. you know, which is which is just I think is what people are gravitating towards. It's also like my my first job out of college was at NPR, and I think that people feel connected to NPR in the same way because there's an intimacy with radio because you're not you're creating your own visuals, um, you're hearing people's voices, you're relying on their voices, and there's just like a, a connection. Hmm. Yeah, I uh, one of my favorite NPR interviews with Scott Simon and Michael J. Fox. Oh, really? And I haven't Michael heard J. that Fox, one. Yeah, yeah. Look it up because he Michael J. Fox intentionally didn't take his um, Parkinson's. Uh, I think that's yeah. He has that. Uh, his medication, and it was uh, it was really uh, touching to hear how much he he has to work at communicating and um yeah it, i look it up because it, it gave me chills I, I, it was one of those driveway moments wow well they so certainly I, I, yeah I, I, combines a lot of things like npr and mm-hmm. like one of the greatest tv characters of all time you know um alex yeah. D. Exactly. Yeah. Well, um, let's uh, let's keep moving because I I think uh, what I'd like to hear back more about is then, um, you know, as a backdrop to community, you're coming in. You you said NPR was one of the the roles you uh, you had. Um, What was your um, you know, you had it looks like you had a couple of TV writing gigs that that were staff writing type of uh, situations before you kind of broke into My Name is Earl. you know, so what were those um, beginning staff writing room uh, situations like? Yeah, you know, it's um, it's you know when you're trying to be a staff writer, and certainly at that time, there's not a lot of rooms. You know, you're trying to break into any room you can. And the first job mm-hmm. that I got was on a late night FX show with Orlando Jones called the Orlando Jones show. Mm -hmm. And it was, you know, like a late night show. I mean, it was cool. There was like a DJ and we did sketches and um, it was a really interesting place to start because there were the majority of the writers were African-American. I Mm -hmm. was the only woman writer. So that was typical um, for the next job. Um, mm. But it was just a, it was a very different experience and it was awesome. Sketch writing is, you know, you're just, you're thinking in such a different way um, than writing, you know, episodes and breaking episodes out that it was like really kind of focusing on the jokes and finding the jokes and scenes. And I really learned from some awesome standups uh, who were on that staff and our head writer had written for the Chris Rock show. Um, Ali Leroy was also uh, a director and writer, and he had uh, he was the head writer on Chris Chris's show too. And I mean, just mm-hmm. amazing, uh, you know, really awesome people. I met one of my best friends in the world, Lee Eisenberg, on that show, who then wrote for The Office, mm-hmm. and he just created Little America. And it was just a great group of people. Was it was it kind of my tone? Was that what I was great at writing? No, but the point is, is that you realize like a professional writer doesn't just write what they're good at. You know, when you're getting paid to write, you have to be able to write everything. So that was so then that the, what totally proved that point is my next job was writing on blue collar TV, which was a Jeff Foxworthy sketch show. So it's like yep. really could not be could not be more different. <laughs> Pendulum <laughs> swings. Pendulum swings. I think. Yeah, huge, huge. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, I I think that like I one of the things that I got on the show with was I pitched a sketch called like 
like beer belly or pregnant belly. <laughs> you know, it's like mm. that. I mean, you know, I'm from Texas, so I was able to pull from some some personal stuff. Um, Same here. That's actually really funny. I'm born in Austin. Oh, really? Oh, uh, that's why I got married in Austin. Yeah, I'm from yeah. Corpus Christi, but. Oh, okay. Cool. Um, Great. But it's just, it, you know, it was so different. And then it's like, yeah, okay, well, you know, like last week I was pleasing, you know, Orlando Jones, you know, this week I'm trying to please Jeff, Jeff Foxworthy. And, you know, that's the, that's the gig. And I was not asked back to the, to the second season of Blue Collar TV. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. And, uh, and then after that, I worked for a Nickelodeon show. And it was so funny because I think at that time I felt like, you know, I, I really wanted to work on a, on a network show. And I thought, oh, working a kid's show am I going to get stuck in this world and it was one of the best things Mm. I did because it was a super tiny staff and I got to write like four episodes and you know there's nobody to do it for you you know there's it's not like you can go off and then the whole room is going to rewrite your stuff they're going to shoot a lot of what you wrote you know for better or for worse Mm. and it was this Nickelodeon show called Just for Kicks starring Jessica Williams who it's then ended up becoming you know, huge. And it's like, you never know who you're going to work with. And it, I wow. really feel like I wouldn't have the career that I have if I hadn't gotten that job. And so then I was really prepared. And the next, you know, my next opportunity was my name is Earl. And again, in order, like, I, I, I can never remember like that quote about like what opportunity is where like preparation meets something. <laughs> but mm-hmm. um, I was very prepared when, you know, the opportunity for my name is Earl came up when I was working on just for kicks at nights, I was writing a spec script and I had, you know, great advice from my agent that was like, you really have to write something that only you can write. And so I wrote that thing and luckily it was a really good year in comedy. And my name is Earl was my favorite pilot that I'd ever seen. <laughs> And I really hit it off with the creator, Greg Garcia, and I was able to get hired as a story editor because I had now some experience and every single experience pitching to Jeff Foxworthy, you know, pitching to Larry, the cable guy, all of that stuff, you know, factored in so much to my ability to be able to prove myself in the room once I got my chance at kind of like the big show, you know? Mm hmm. Yeah, and you've, you've written for diverse cast. It, it, it just wasn't the the blue uh, group, oh, that, no. uh, but it was the Orlando Joe. So yeah. you, you've I was I was had that in my notes. Like you've actually written for a diverse group of people. You know, women, people of color. So that's you, you're coming into it. Um, a pro. Yeah, yeah. You know, and it was just like, yeah, exactly. Like I. I think every experience was totally different, you know, writing for, you know, Orlando Jones and like his cast, writing for, you know, Jeff Foxworthy, writing for, um, you know, a kid, writing for teenagers, you know, and everything they're going through and what that, you know, that experience is like and kind of going backwards. It was just really, in, in all honesty, I drew from all of those things for community. Yeah, I mean, I think uh, in, um, I was going to make a connection between uh my name is Earl and community but i think uh, i think we're already there um with uh with conversation so so now you're on staff with uh, community and um you know going into community what uh, what was different about this show what were your expectations you know you've you've written you know uh, a lot of episodes at this point you know so how how is it different um uh, than the other uh, shows you've been well, on. Well, you really could not almost get two different people than Greg Garcia and Dan Harmon. 
uh, for showrunners. <laughs> and so, you know, I got introduced to Dan through the Russos and the Russo brothers had, uh, I had pitched them a pilot that I wanted to do and they really liked it. And so we had it at ABC and it came very close to um, getting shot and everybody was really disappointed and they were like, well, we have the show community. And at that point, you know, Earl, we weren't sure if it was coming back. And I watched the pilot and really was like, I just never seen anything like it. Um, it was so raw and, and messy and exposed, you know, my name is Earl. The pilot was Mm. so good. It was polished. It was really pristine. It was really like, Oh, these are experts. Community did not feel like that. (laughs) Community felt like a mess in the best way possible. And then Mm. when I met Dan, I was just like, I, I, I absolutely like, I think that this guy has something to say and it, this, these are the kind of stories that I want to tell. And one of the things that I said in our interview when we met was that all these characters seemed really broken to me. And he said he had never really thought of it that way. But then that's what kind of connected us is he felt like I saw what he was trying to do. And, um, mm. and so then that's, that's kind of like how that connection started. And, you know, Dan, what I saw in that pilot was exactly what it was, you know, messy and raw, and he was going to put everything, everything that he had kind of experienced in life and what he thought about life into that show. And it was like, you're either along for this ride or you're not. And... Yeah, and and, and uh, a lot of people were, and yeah. uh, and are still still that at this point still discovering. I, I'm pretty connected now in the social media groups, and and the, there be you know, there's people every day. Oh, I'm starting community for the first time, and I'm like, <laughs> that's awesome, that's amazing. Yeah. yeah, you're 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 in for a treat. Um, so, uh, yeah, it's I would be, you know, if Dan Harmon prior to community or starting community and the Dan Harmon today, we could meet, uh, you know, I've, I've followed him a long time now and, and, and you know him and I imagine they're, uh, they're pretty different people. Um, probably the same in a lot of ways too. We all are, but, uh, anyway, um, so I better, think better, uh, better dressed. <laughs> 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 Maybe since I first met him. <laughs> yes, yeah, um, uh, and his his hair is and beard and and uh, anyway, if I, I follow his Instagram for uh, uh, workouts yes, and stuff, yeah. it's just he's an inspiring fellow. Yes, for um, sure. Yeah, so. Um, and really good at carpentry, amazingly good at carpentry. Yeah, so, so Zach um, just told me this, so this is his new thing. So I need to, I need to get into that. Yeah, you know, when you see someone who can ex- excel at so many things, you're like, I, I try those things too, and why am I, you know, I'm finished my own basement. I'm like, oh, that that corner is all messed up and that. But when you see someone excel at something and you're like how did you get that cut so right anyway i'm I'm nerding out about carpentry with you but <laughs> yeah you know it's it's amazing um so uh i think i want to talk more than about the you know the craft in, in the writer's room itself um i think there was a lot of i had misconceptions or at least a lack of of transparency into that world um and so and i started this podcast to kind of learn more about it and um i think from what I've seen, you know, there's a lot of people who have been really interested. Um, you know, do you think like the public understands what you really do like as a TV writer? Um, 
I don't think entirely. I mean, I think now there's so much more information, especially than when I was starting out about how it works, that people have a better idea. It used to be that people didn't know what a showrunner was. Um, you know, that, you know, that was hard to explain. Um, also, one thing that's always confusing to people is that sometimes people contact, you know, the staff writer because you're like, oh, you're the writer on the show. And they don't realize that writers have producer credits as they get, you know, higher. Yeah. Um, and I think that, you know, I still get asked, you know, it may surprise you because you're a little more into TV, you know, if I just write for one character. And, mm. you know, I think that... I think that sometimes it also happens to women more, you know, people assume that you work on a staff that you're going to write for the women characters. And it's like, well, right. no, I didn't just write for, you know, <laughs> Britta, you know, on community. Did, I, did right. I bring some authenticity to like Britta stories? It might not be there if it was just a room full of dudes. Like, yes. Um, yeah. But it doesn't mean that, you know, I wasn't a big part of the other stories. And so I think there's just, there are still kind of misconceptions about that. Also, you know, the credited writer on an episode is always such a tricky thing. I noticed the I think the good place writers are really good about, you know, always saying like, I have an episode on tonight, it's great, but just a reminder that this episode is written by a lot of people. And this is the one that I get mm. to take credit for. And that's really the truth. I mean, you know, all the time there's, you know, really big storylines that you have, you know, huge parts of episodes that you don't write. You know, and a lot of times writers are good about, you know, in the room or we're reminding, oh, that was such a great thing that, you know, so-and-so pitched and, you know, even if they're getting credit on the episode, but then the the rest of the world doesn't really understand that, you know, so they look at an episode, sure. they think, oh, that's your episode. And it's really, it's your moment to take credit for all of your contributions in the room. And sometimes it's your story idea and that's why you're assigned it. And, you know, there's different variations of, of how much somebody has control rise over an episode but really it's your time to take credit for like your part of the room hmm. yeah and so you actually have four episodes in the season one yeah um, compared to some of the other folks um how did that how, how does that happen how does that um get assigned like that or, it's, or is it just we're looking at the room and saying you know uh this is zach's first ex first writer's room so he's gonna he's gonna get one but you know hillary's been in multiple rooms so she's gonna get four um, as far as the exp uh, experience was. Yeah, almost every show goes in order of, uh, you know, uh, who's the highest level writer. Um, sometimes, mm -hmm. like on our in our case, uh, Neil and Garrett, who were the co-showrunners, um, they were really busy mm -hmm. with the logistics of the show, so they didn't want to write an episode. So then that's kind of how I ended up in the rotation. Also, there's just some people that the drafts, you know, and I'm not saying this is the case with me necessarily, but like on a lot of shows, you know, the drafts are just a little bit easier for the showrunner to rewrite for whatever reason. Uh, maybe they're better at adapting the outline. And so it kind of makes everybody's life easier if that person writes a lot of drafts. Um, mm. And just naturally somebody that's done more scripts is probably kind of in that zone. So then it helps keep everything kind of moving when you have that person write a script. Um Right. And everybody has different skills. Or sometimes there's somebody that like you really miss it in the room when they're off on scripts. And so you really, really want them around. And it's really those people always get, you know, kind of screwed because they get less scripts because they just can't bear for them to be out of the room. Um, so it's, you know, so that's just kind of one of the combina combinations of, of what happens. Hmm. Yeah. And I think when an audience like, so I'm thinking about it's, I, I would, I want to attach like a name 
who I can go on, on Twitter and go, you just made me, you make me laugh every, you know, every time I watch this for the last 10 years, I, I want to attach a name to, uh, like a joke because, you know, you have a, have a moment where like the exchange between Jeff and Troy, where they're, you know, oh, that's racist. That's black. That's homophobic. That's one of those moments where like, oh my God, like community is so good at, at dialogue and, and making these characters, you know, but how often is that like you as a writer, I I'm sitting with my script off, you know, um, for my week writing my script or how often is that like a joke group, group uh, joke session type of thing? You know, it's just, it really is, is such a combination. And then a lot of times, like, so that, that, mm-hmm. that particular run was like a lot of Harmon, but it's like, we're also there contributing and, you know, somebody throws out one thing and then it gets him going to the next thing. And a lot mm-hmm. of, you know, Dan liked to be at the computer and a lot of it was us, you know, he, he liked to put it up on its feet kind of in the room so there was a lot of that kind of back and forth that then gets you there and somebody adds something else and it cracks him up and then he, he wants to top it. You know, one of the, one of the things mm-hmm. that is great about Dan and, you know, there's definitely a lot of other people I've worked with like this is that, you know, you want to have the joke that wins, but you know, if you're putting a joke in just because you're the boss and it didn't win. Um, and Dan, Dan wanted, wanted to win and he put his joke in if it won, you know, <laughs> Uh, yeah. And it won, it won a lot. I mean, <laughs> you know, um, yeah, I mean, he's a funny guy. So I yeah. Mean, it's, um, yeah. And, you know, yeah. the thing is, is that we all got better at, at writing for these characters as we went along. And the better Dan got at writing for the characters, the better we all got at writing for the characters. You know, it became very clear. This is a Troy joke. You know, this is, yes, like this is, you know, um, you know, this is, this is Britta. This is, you know. This makes sense. Like, of course, of course, this is what Ovid would say, you know, and that just makes a a big difference as a show kind of picks up steam. It's one of the reasons why I love writing on first season shows, you know, because Hmm. you're really figuring it out all together. Yeah, and it sounded like there was a lot of effort put in uh, the first uh, few weeks, a month of of the show. Andrew was saying where you, you know, you had like a retreat of who are these characters? Character and, and, camp, you know, yeah. Um, mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> I mean, I do you have any I printed fi- up shirts for the second season that said character camp. <laughs> oh, awesome. <laughs> um, what, do you have any um, fa- favorite things that came out of character camp? Like what you know. Um, of, of things that you've pitched for the characters? And... Well, you know, one of the things that, um, you know, ended up being in football, feminism and you was that when we were talking about Britta and it was in the, it was in the first like two weeks, I think of, of season one, we weren't even at our regular offices yet. And we were in a conference room and I said, well, you know, Britta is the, is the type of girl that like girls don't like. And Dan was mm. like, what are you talking about? <laughs> and he was like, she's like really mm. cool. She's like the cool girl. And I was like, what girl likes the cool girl? <laughs> you know, I was like, that's mm. the girl that guys like. That's not the girl girls like. And it really started this conversation about what what that what kind of the age that Britta was at and how she had kind of defined herself by being one of the guys. And then you kind of become one of the guys. But what happens when you start to need women, want women in your life? Like, how do you connect with them? And so it was just such an interesting thing and just so unexpected that even though Dan had created this character, 
um, you know, you create a character and you kind of put them out into the world and then you can't control how then they're perceived. And I thought it was so obvious that Britta was a girl that women wouldn't like. Um, and so, you know, it's, it's stuff like that, that, it all, you know, become, you know, so much of what the show is, is like the deep pathos of these characters. And those were the best conversations a character can, because when you're on a deadline, you really don't, you, you don't have time to have these kind of conversations. You know, you're, you're really like, okay, what's the B story? They threw out the, the B story. What's a new B story? Um, you know, what can this character do here? The scene isn't working. You know, it's, it's triage, but at character camp, you know, and those pressure, that precious pre-production time where you can really get into deep conversations about what these characters, why they do what they do, you know, how they became who they are, uh, you know, that just so much, you know, came out of that, you know, a lot of talking about Pierce, you know, like who he is and, you know, a yeah. lot, a lot of that then on the show is informed by, you know, the connections they made with other actors, the problems there may or may not have been between, you know, those actors and other actors, their interaction. What, what problems? Yeah, I <laughs> know, exactly. <laughs> um, you know, the interactions they had with crew members, you know, just everything starts to inform, mm you know, that character. And that's one of the things that is really unique to community, I think, is how much the actors affected who the characters were. You know, if, you know, Yvette had not been cast as Shirley, Shirley would not be who Shirley was. You know, like it was essential. Yeah. Certainly the Dean, you know, if it had not been Jim Rash, you know, it's like yeah. so much, they br bring so much, they're so talented as a cast, bring, brought so so much to those characters and just really I think that that's the chemistry that we all who love the show feel yeah I, I think it, what I want to see it do is like try to triangulate that's what I do for a living I'm like think about numbers and and figure out like why mm -hmm. and sometimes uh, it's just a matter of you know um, Hillary wrote something great someone had tagged a joke during a group session and it came out of the mouth of the person it was supposed to. And, and, you know, on the end, the consumer just, you know, I look at it and go, I love it. And it's, it makes me so happy and it, and it, or it brought me through a really bad time. And how can I repay you? I don't know. It, but I, I, I just, sometimes that calculus is just a noble in, in, in its beauty. And uh, I just had to be satisfied with that, I guess. <laughs> yeah, for sure. And there were, there were yeah. so many moments of that where it really took so many different like things and factors, you know, coming together. Um, and, you know, and that's one of the reasons why, you know, the show, like, you know, notoriously, you know, the scripts would not be done and we would be, I mean, Joe Russo would, like he started, you know, uh, Joe and Anthony started shooting, always starting in the study room because it was like, okay, at least if every episode starts here, we know what we can block and shoot on Monday, even if the script <laughs> is changing as we're rehearsing. And that's kind of how it became that everything started in the study group. And, mm. you know, so it was just kind of one of those things that, that there was such a desire to have things reflect what was going on in moment to moment and what is the freshest, like, experience for every, you know, that everybody was having to be what was on the page. And so that was for, unfortunately, for our amazing line producer. <laughs> um, it was a little tough. Hmm. Can you tell me um, a little bit about, you know, so you've mentioned the Russos and you've mentioned um, uh, Garrett and um, 
Neil and and Dan, he, tell me what is the relationship like then between EPs and the showrunner and the writers room? Because I I think um, that's that's one of those areas where uh, we we probably we know know less than than you know you guys in the industry would know. And and I'd love to kind of dive into that for a second. Um, yeah. So what like what kind of what are you thinking about in particular? Like what is Sure. I mean, um, you know, so if we're working on uh, scripts, you know, is Dan in the room working on the scripts with you? Um, do, you know, do the Russos come in and, you know, at what point do uh, EPs get involved on the script level or are they thinking a bigger picture? Um, the Russos only you know, in got to... involved when things were going bad, <laughs> you know, like we really needed a script, <laughs> things were really messed up, like that's when you saw the Russos, um, because they had mm. so much to do, uh, you know, on set and were always like, you know, being, you know, and they had the best, literally the world's best attitude about it, um, but they were, you know, a lot of times behind the eight ball because of us. And so they weren't, they weren't really around that much. I mean, they are really responsible for just the pilot being what it was. And I remember Joe Russo saying he had to like go to Dan's apartment when they were waiting on a rewrite on the pilot, you know, um, and they were a big mm. part of, of really getting it to, to become a thing. Um, and then once it was going, you know, there was more of the day-to-day stuff like Neil, Neil and Garrett uh, ran a lot of the logistical stuff. Garrett's really great at logistics. And, um, so they would try to keep the, keep the, you know, train moving. And so we would have multiple rooms going. A lot of times you have like a punch up room and then you have a story room. And I don't know if Andrew talked about this, but like a big thing that Dan does is kind of would, we would take story embryos that had kind of been approved by Dan and we would focus on some of these story embryos and, you know, he uses he didn't. So, yeah, I'd love to hear more about that. Yeah. So that was like, so part of, you know, what he does is a story circle, a Joseph Campbell way of storytelling. And so, you know, we would then take some of these story embryos that were kind of like approved that were beyond just an idea phase where Dan thought that there was something. Um, and we would start on these embryos. And then sometimes Dan would be called away to do something or go to set and have to come back. But that was kind of like the, you know, idea of a punch-up room, a story embryo room, and then that would grow. And then we would always use the story circle to kind of see if any of these embryos, you know, were going to evolve. And so that was like an essential way for us to like sell a story to Dan was throwing it up on a story circle and explaining like, okay, this is, you know, this is where in the, you know, known world, this is where we enter the unknown mm-hmm. world, you know, this is the meeting with the goddess, this is, you know, um, I- explaining like where this fit into, you know, Jeff's story and his journey. And that stuff was kind of how you sold stuff to Dan. Um, and one of the things you're always trying to do is yeah. you're really trying to get Dan interested in, in your story so that he would start pitching on it. You know, the worst was when Dan would just be sitting there and like playing games on his iPad and he's not interested in what you're talking about. And uh, and so you had to like say something that then got him pitching, you know, got him into it. Mm. Um, and then you needed enough that when Dan got called away to do something else or do a rewrite that your room had, had a place to go. Hmm. Um, Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's really, that's really helpful. I, I think, um, 
uh, and I, the I, I've he's explained the the uh, Campbell methodology, and and I think that's a I hope I don't know I think it would be a really helpful way to kind of get everyone on the same page of of thinking of of a story in, in you know uh, between all the different brains you kind of have to um, again like have a a, a a compass to to get through the to the end of the story uh, some some way to to get there, but. Um, um, so you wrote four episodes for season uh, one. Do you have any favorites that stuck out to you? I mean, I think uh, I want to talk about the season finale at some point, but yeah, you know, so I mean, uh, there's stuff like you know, I mean, that I love about you know every every episode for sure. But I think like I think football feminism and you is still one that to me really. Um, really was important and it was written in a close it was written as 103 even though it didn't air as 103 and I think it was just kind of establishing the dynamic between our female characters was really great I thought it was a really good episode for the dean that kind of explaining like his attitude on the world and there was just kind of this bigger feeling of uh, you know everybody here you know at Greendale is just trying at their most basic level to just be like a human being, you know, like just this human mm-hmm. experience. Um, and so sure. I, I still really have, you know, a, a soft spot for that episode. And then I don't remember if it was season one or season two. Um, but I wrote an episode where there's a storyline in the background for Abed that he never has any lines of dialogue. And yeah, mm-hmm. and that is, He's giving, he's uh, delivering a baby. Yes. Um, so, well, first yeah, it's yeah. like he has, he's, it's like the boyfriend confronts him and it's like he, you know, is having an affair with his girlfriend and then the girl's <laughs> pregnant and it's like, you know, um, and it's this whole storyline. And, you know, for me, I was really proud of that because when I pitched it to Dan, he was unsure. <laughs> um, and when I think it was, it was Joe or Anthony, I can't remember who directed it. Um, and it was just the, like, I, I don't know for sure if this is going to work, but the Russos are always literally up for anything, which is one of the things that makes them so amazing. And I was just like, I really, if it's terrible, we'll cut it out. But I really, I just, I, I just, I really want to try it. And it's one of the things that I was most proud of. And again, you know, the Russo's were able to do such a good job. And look, when you have a lot of stuff to shoot and you have a storyline with no dialogue going on in the background, the fact that they did not at mm. some point just say, we're cutting this, you know, um, <laughs> I really appreciate, but that kind of tells you everything that you need to know about the show um, because mm. it was a show full of people that said, well, we'll try it, you know, it's like, yeah, what's the, yeah. what's the worst thing that can happen? We'll try it. And, you know, to ha- and the cast was that way. The line producer was that way. Props, this woman, Rhonda, amazing. You know, it's like the production designer, Derek, you know, it's like everybody was just like, let's try it. And it's really not typical. You know, you really encounter, mm. you know, so often on shows like where it's just kind of, well, we're not going to be able to do that. Community, I remember we needed, for the season one finale, we needed a giant cookie cake for Troy, yep. and we we wrote it the night before it was shooting and told Rhonda, and she was just like, okay, and she was like, I'll call the 24-hour baker, 
And I was like, that's how I found out that there was a 24-hour baker um, <laughs> in Los Angeles. Uh, who knows how much, uh, you know, Sony TV had to pay for that. Um, and uh-huh. there it was the next morning, you know, multiple. That's of course, amazing. you have you can't just have one cookie cake, you know. Right. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. You need about six of them. Yeah. Uh, um, and and uh, that's really great. Um so I think, and yeah, let's keep on talking about uh, the uh, season finale uh, because I think there's. Be, I'd be curious to know how much effort, conversation, and uh, attention uh, the season finale is given versus your other episodes. You know, I think that you know the first season was so crazy. And it was it was so difficult that I think that the you know the the season finale kind of like snuck up on everybody, um, and hmm. you know I ended up writing it because I I did have a big part in pitching you know that that story, and you know I think that you know it was it was kind of natural that we really wanted to kind of set up like okay everybody we've been teasing you know Britta and Jeff you know Britta's finally you know, it's like, okay, now he's on to Slater, but now Brit is jealous. But then really like when nobody was paying any attention, it was Annie, you know, Annie is the one with the real connection. And you even see in football feminism and you that Annie and Jeff have this moment. There was always this feeling of like, even though Annie was kind of treated like she's a child, she's the opposite of Jeff. She's type A, she's all these things. Britta is the female Jeff. They're like so right for each other. There was always this sense of that, Jeff and Annie have the deeper connection, you know? Hmm. So that was like, you know, a big part of, of, you know, Pascal triangle revisited of just kind of like getting to like the heart of, of those things, you know, and, and those dynamics that Jeff was having the truth of them. Well, I, uh, I mean, I, I think that's, um, uh, Trigger alert! I think that's one of the reasons why having a woman writer do that uh, is really helpful. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I think uh, um, you know that's that's we're we're better off for having uh, um, you kind of set up those relationships and dive uh, deeper into those relationships. And um, so that's really helpful. Um, but I do have to ask: Team Britta, Team Slater, Team Annie, are you? Uh, you have a preference you know that's so hard because it's like you know you you know you want you have all different versions like in your head like so it's funny because i think that like you know early on you're kind of like britain's the worst you know <laughs> like you don't you know you want him to be with with annie but then as britta britta evolves so much as a character you know that then you start to really understand her more you know and so then you like hmm. feel for her and it's just it's so hard i mean i think i would say i am i i am t- I'm team britta but hmm. yeah interesting yeah i mean i i think that's that it's that's realist um that's a realist approach uh, and i think you know, the the dreamer goes, oh, of course, Annie, but you know, like she's got like so much, like that's what this the series finale kind of gives us is that, yeah, I mean, of course, people have connections, but like she's got so much of her of her new li- of a life to like lead before she would yes. get with Jeff. So, 
yeah. So, I mean, she really deserves, I mean, Jeff is great, but she deserves, you know, something, you know, else that's out there. Um, yeah. He, so, you know, she uh, deserves that he was, he's the guy from the past she runs into with her new boyfriend, you know, like it's, mm-hmm. you know, whereas Britta has already like made some of the mistakes and, you know, she's like, you know, at a different place in her life. And, you know, you feel like there's, you know, I think that, I think that it's in Pascal Triangle's revisit. You know, I haven't seen it in a long time. It was certainly in the script that I wrote, and I never know what ends up there. You know, I can't remember sometimes what makes it and what I wrote. But it was about how, mm-hmm. like, um, you know, Annie was, like, Annie was a little bit, like, when you make a New Year's resolution, you know, it's, like, aspiring to be, like, who you want to be, where Britta is who mm-hmm. you become, like, three days after New Year's. And you're like back to yeah. like who you really are. Um, and so, you know, I think like, you know, and I think he maybe says it about Slater, but he means it about Annie. And so I think yeah. that there is yeah. just a sense too of like these characters all, you know, end up kind of trying to figure out who they really are and they stop trying to fight who they are. Um, and it doesn't mean they're not mm. trying to be the best versions of themselves, but they're trying to stop fighting at a certain point and like leaning into who they are and how to be the best version of that person. Sure. Sure. Yeah. Um, I, I don't know whoever wrote the, uh, he's been to flavor country. Uh, oh my God. That makes me like cry. Every I don't time. even, it's I just, do not even remember. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it, it's, uh, and I think that's a testament, like of kind of what you said, we kind of said uh, that, that that calculus is unknowable at this point, but um, it, it just, that's what I love about some of these episodes, uh, football feminism, you and, and, and this one in particular, they have those, those moments where you're just like, oh my God, like, this is why we watch this show. And it's, uh, it's great. So, um, but that's one of those lines that sticks out like, oh, bro, yeah. that is, <laughs> I mean, that's just, so freaking yes, great. because it just, that just shows you just like who Britta is, you know, like she just. Yeah. You know, she can't help herself. She is just, she is broken. You know, she, you know, sometimes is able to put on this exterior, but, you know, it's, it's so, it's so great from when you watch the pilot, you know, to just see, oh, where she's like this cool girl and she's telling Jeff like, oh, I tricked you. I'm not really, you know, I'm not really going to date with you. You know, she's so in control, you know, Mm -hmm. and then you're just like, oh, by the end of the season, you know, she just reveals herself to be just the mess, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, um, so she kind of comes out of that se- uh, that season broken and in in, in kind of uh, in shambles in season two, um, the, you know, because she comes in and like, uh, you know, why is everyone uh, looking at uh, me? Everyone yeah. hates me. And yeah. yeah. Um, do you think um, it sounds like you've got a, a good vantage point or, or a positive vantage point on her evolution? Do you think um, this is kind of two questions in one, like. How do you look at seasons three and beyond, you know, as you, you know, it's like a kid that you sent off to college and they're no longer influenced by you. You know, how do you view those these characters? Yeah, like, you know, and, I haven't seen just... like every episode from all these seasons, but I think that that's sure. a good way to put it of that, you know, you kind of like help birth these these characters and then you kind of send them off and they like you know have their own lives and then it's like you turn it on and you're surprised to be like oh like of course of course yeah she's model doing model UN UN of course she is you know it's like mm-hmm. um that's you know that's kind of is how it feels and you're you're really happy for them to like be continuing in their life you know mm-hmm. 
Yeah, yeah. I mean, they've got four more and a movie. Yeah. Um, after you. Uh, <laughs> um, so yeah, that's that's interesting. Um, so do you have uh, like a favorite character that you enjoyed? As I'm, I'm kind of wrapping up. I'm, I have some of my more general questions. Do you have a favorite character that you enjoyed writing for? Oh, I mean, I think that uh, you know, I think that the beauty of the show is that they're all so good to write for. Um, yeah. That's a fair question because they are really all great characters. Yeah. I mean, you know, like, like as far as like who was kind of like fun to see like what they would do. um, I mean, I do think Annie was fun to see what she would do because she really gets to a point where she lets go of who she thinks she is earlier than some of the other characters. Um, And so Mm -hmm. that would be really fun to kind of write for her. Um, I mean, Troy is such a, a great character. You know, his openness and childlikeness, you know, could be – I mean, and then Donald Glover. I mean, is just literally sure. one of the most amazing, most talented people ever. Yeah. Um, you know, but it's just that, you know, I think that you it was always so much better um, than how you envisioned it in your head. And so that was always fun because you were always surprised. Um, but mm. then Jim Rash, I mean, the dean is just, you know, like – you would just be delighted sitting there like at your computer writing, like knowing that you were going to get to see him do it, you know? <laughs> yeah. Huh. Yeah. Um, I, I let a secret out uh, the other day that I had, um, I, I'm, I will never be a professional screenwriter, but I enjoy it as a therapy process uh-huh, yeah, for myself. And so, yeah. So, um, and when you really know something so well, like you've watched these, like, uh, I feel like I've gotten, uh, anyway, so I started writing and the movie, the, um, and, um, I, yeah, I can, I can see how from your perspective of there's a joy and once you've found their voice, um, and once you really like feel like, you know, the character yeah. and it can just be so, um, it can be really delightful for lack of better words to just put those that personality on paper um so yeah and i think we um, you know we used to do at character cam which is a good exercise really any writer of like um okay like what if we were going to do a story between abed and shirley okay so what are what abed and shirley we got to do a b story it's just the two of them like what's happening with them you know like putting characters together that weren't always together you know i think that shirley Mm -hmm. would be was very confused by abed you know a lot of times you know and i think but it's like how you know, putting Shirley and Abbott together, you know, it's like, okay, like, what is this? You know, um, mm-hmm. I think that that, that is really fun when you know the characters, because you're just like, oh, okay, like, I, I want to see where this goes. Hmm. Yeah, yeah, it's, it, it's uh, fun to see, um, you know, you're kind of like mixing chemicals and, and seeing uh, what comes out of the, the combinations. Yeah, for sure. And I think that that's just what makes a really good ensemble is that, you know, you were never sad watching Community when there were like two characters off in a storyline together. You know, you were never like, ah, I got to get back to Jeff's story, you know, Uh, you know, I got to get back to Troy's story, you know, like you really, I feel like you want to see everybody's storyline. And that's, that's pretty hard to pull off in an ensemble. Hmm. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, I think it speaks to. The, you've got amazing character, you know, the actors, um, and you're giving them something um, 
of substance to, to speak about. And so you've the perfect storm of, of all these great elements coming together. So um, I think that's where we have to just say thank you, Hillary, for, you know, and thank you to all these writers. And that's why I'm doing what I'm doing, because I want to give you a chance to, I don't know, if anyone's ever asked you some of these things, put them from a, uh, an anthology standpoint, we have these conversations where hopefully, um, uh, you know, people can listen and say, wow, this is really great perspective from um, the people that have made the, the show that we like and love. Really, Yeah, I mean, look, so, it's so exciting yeah. for something that like meant so much to me that like people, like you said, are, are even discovering it, you know, today, um, you know, is just means so much um, because it's like it makes all of those like 6 a.m., you know, never ending night yeah. into day and, you know, really, really tough moments that we experienced uh, there um, really worth it. Yeah, that's, that's so great. Well, uh, thank you on behalf of community fans and um, thank you for being on six seasons and yeah, thank you so much. I appreciate it. Hey, community fans. If you're enjoying the podcast, uh, consider backing me on Patreon and becoming a patron uh, for as little as two bucks a month. It is really helpful for me uh, to keep things going and uh, keep the podcast moving forward. Thanks. Bye-bye.